If you're feeling stressed or anxious by the events going on today, get the safe empowerment system for anxiety over at quietbegins.com. And if you use the promo code BRAIN50 during checkout, you'll get 50% off. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about someone's mental health. She wrote me an email, and I'm going to read you most of it here. Uh, it's a young person in her 20s, and um, I love when I hear from people that are this young that want to work on themselves. When I was in my 20s, the last thing I thought of was working on myself because I thought I had everything taken care of. I thought I knew everything. I thought I knew enough at least to get through the world and I didn't need any help and I've got it covered. So when I hear someone in their teens, in their 20s, and sometimes even in their 30s, it surprises me, first of all, because uh, I look at my own life and reflect on how much I didn't do for myself and how much I didn't prepare or try to improve myself or be vulnerable enough to think that there might be something I need improving, let alone there might be some dysfunction I needed to heal. So anyone listening that's under the age of mm, 35, if you're thinking of this stuff, you are light years ahead of most people, (laughs) at least people older than you. If you're above 35 and you're listening to this, you're probably in that range where I was, and I'm just putting out these arbitrary numbers. I didn't do any polling or anything like that, but I was in my mid to upper 30s when I got serious about my mental health, about my improving my well-being, I should say. So if you are in a space of improving, of healing, of looking inward and trying to figure out maybe what you could do to change or heal from trauma, you know, figure out these emotional triggers that you might be carrying around or trying to figure out a better way to communicate or to convey information. All of this is important. And sometimes we get to it pretty late in life. I mean, mid thirties is not late, but there are people that listen to this show that are in their forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, and maybe (laughs) eighties, maybe, and maybe higher. And if you're in your 70s or 80s or higher, let me know. I would love to hear from you. Uh, it's never too late. It never it never is too late. Uh, I've heard from someone, I think she was in her mid-60s, and she felt like maybe it was too late for her, like she can't really do too much to change her life. 
um, but she decided that she was going to try. And I, I don't know if I heard back from her, but why wouldn't you try? Why wouldn't you try? I mean, this was like um, the episode I did just recently where uh, I think it might have been Love and Abuse, my other podcast. I think where my stepfather said, you know what, it's too late for me. I can't stop drinking. You know, I asked him this when I was in my 20s. I was like, why don't you stop drinking? Why can't you stop? Will you stop drinking? I mean, you know how much this is affecting the family and you know how how much damage it does. And he said, it's just too late. I can't stop. And he gave up. People that give up will keep their problems. That's really the simple answer to someone who gives up. They just, they'll keep their problems. I'm not saying that actually giving up all the time is necessarily a bad thing. Believe it or not, sometimes giving up is a good thing. Because sometimes you are working toward wanting something to change or someone to change. And uh, you have to give up because they never will. And giving up can be very freeing. Giving up is letting go. It allows things and people to be. And when you can be in a space where you let things be or people be, you're in a very freeing space because now you are no longer facing inner conflict. You don't have to worry or try to change someone or something because you know you can't. And the more you try, the more resistance you get, the worse you feel inside. So you either try harder which amplifies the resistance, which also amplifies the conflict and the feelings inside of you. And it's an unpleasant feeling. So the harder you try, the worse you feel. And eventually you just have to give up. So you give up and then suddenly you're free. You might still have a problem that you don't like, but you've given up trying to change that problem. And that is very liberating. So If you are currently trying to change a problem in your life, and no matter how hard you try, it never changes, it might be time to give up. I look at that as you're walking up the road toward your destination, and your walk could be easy, it could be long, it could be arduous, but you can make it. There's challenges along the way, but you can make it. There's that aspect of dealing with a challenge or there's the aspect of walking down the road and the road turns into dirt and the dirt turns into mud and the mud turns into sludge and the sludge turns into or it starts snowing and uh, then you are getting stuck with every step and then pretty soon your boots get stuck in the mud and now you're in your bare feet and it's wet and it's cold and you just can't really go on because your your feet are going to fall off. It's just there's no way to continue your journey and you have to take a moment to reassess your journey and ask yourself, is this really worth it? Is it really worth going in this direction, going through such difficult terrain? The destination may not be worth it. This is what I look at in my life. If I'm trudging through mud over and over again, then I'm probably going the wrong way. Does this work for every scenario? No. I mean, I think there are times where you might work really hard on something and get it to change. But is the result 
everything that you worked hard for, does it equal the amount of work or does it surpass it so much that it was worth every uh, step? And I know that it sounds very opposite, like you should work hard and you'll reap the results of your hard work and you will have overcome the obstacles and you have learned so much and you have gained so much strength. I believe in that. I also believe that sometimes some journeys are futile. Sometimes you're just on a journey to a destination that is unreachable and every sign comes your way and reaffirms that. Now there's a snowstorm. Now there's a tornado. Now there's more mud. Now there's an ocean to cross. I mean, how many more signs do you need where you'll finally decide maybe this isn't the right direction? I, I do this a lot in my own life. I look at the signs coming my way. And I'm not talking spiritual, but it could be spiritual. But I'm talking about all the obstacles that just come up over and over again until you finally decide that you're going to pivot course and go another direction. That's what I'm talking about is that sometimes you will climb one side of the mountain and it's full of jagged edges and you're cutting yourself and it's tiring and you're falling down. And then there's the other side of the mountain which may not have such a steep, treacherous climb and perhaps you can get to your destination another way or perhaps when you get to your destination it doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. That's another perspective for maybe another day. But you know what I mean. You work hard and you finally get the outcome you want and it doesn't look like what you want. Kind of reminds me of um, secondary gain sometimes. This is probably not related too much. But when I think about some of the people I've worked with and some of the stories that I've read, therapy and coaching and things like that, people come in and get help. Uh, sometimes there's something known as secondary gain. Secondary gain is when there is a benefit to something you don't like. That's the most simplified version of that. It's a deeper topic, but secondary gain is that there's a benefit to something that you don't like. And uh, what that might mean is, for example, um, I always use this example. If there's a couple and one of them is depressed, the other one may dote on them, care for them, uh, want them to be happy so they'll pay extra attention to them, they'll love them, they will get them dinner, they will do everything for this depressed person. And the depressed person finds that being depressed, they get extra attention. So they don't like being depressed, but there's a benefit to being depressed because of all this extra attention. So that's one example of secondary gain, and that can happen in uh, many cases, with many different things in our lives. I mean, just think about, in fact, that's a good exercise for you. Think about something that you don't like and ask yourself, what benefit do I get from this? You may say, there's no benefit. I hate it. I don't want it. Uh, I wish it would go away. You might be right. But think about the benefits that you get from the things that you don't like. For example, uh, I don't like my boss. Just say that. I don't like my boss, if you have a boss. And um, you go to the break room and you complain to your coworkers and you gossip about your boss and you just wish that your boss would change his or her ways or whatever. But then your boss realizes how much of a jerk he or she is being and decides to start treating you nicely. Your job gets better because you're happier and things improve. But now you find that uh, all your gossiping is gone. <laughs> now, I know that's a 
probably a terrible example, but you do look for things that maybe you benefit from because maybe in this case, the gossiping was fun. It was a way to vent. It was a way to build camaraderie with other people and uh, really have something to relate to with each other. But now that's gone, what are you talking about then? And is that now missing from your life? Again, these this is going to be different for everyone. But secondary gain is benefiting from something you don't like. And when you find out what your secondary gain is, if you realize that you're benefiting in some way, if you can find that benefit, you can sometimes get beyond the challenge. So you might have a challenge that's going on in your life and think to yourself, how do I benefit from this? If there was a benefit, how would I benefit? That's a good way to word it. If there was a benefit, how would I benefit from it? And just think about it. If you can't come up with anything, then maybe there's nothing. But there might be something. Is it something you do? Is it a way you feel? Like I remember complaining about a coworker to my wife when I was married. I would come home and I would just complain all the time about this coworker. Uh, when I did, she would comfort me. So my complaints received a benefit of comfort. I don't really want to admit that that was secondary gain, that I was actually doing it to receive the comfort. I just think it was a side benefit. But being honest with myself, I can probably see how that would be beneficial. Come home and complain about this person, helps me vent, uh, but also get the benefit of that comfort. And then later on, she put me in my place and said, you know, you act just like that person you're complaining about. <laughs> I won't get into that, but it was a funny story and it made me realize, oh, everything I complain about is in me too. Oh, that probably I need to look at. So I did. <laughs> but that was an interesting development. And I made sure that I looked at that and was able to process that and stuff. But Secondary gain in your life might be something completely different, but it is helpful to understand what you might be resisting in your life that actually has a benefit to your life. So just think about that. It may or may not apply, and that's fine. But I'm going to come back to what I was talking about earlier, which has to do with uh, a young person that wrote to me. And uh, she wrote this message. I'm going to try to keep it pretty confidential here, so I will change some stuff. But she said, your podcast has helped me so much over the past years. Thank you so much. I'm in my early 20s and I've dealt with panic attacks, social anxiety, and depression since I was a teenager. Thankfully, I'm in a better place, but I still deal with pretty bad anxiety. I was wondering if you had any advice on validating and expressing trauma that happened so long ago that you're tempted to doubt how serious the matter was. In high school, I took a psychology class and I realized that I've been repressing my experiences of sexual assault by a family member that took place for four years. Wow. With a school therapist, I managed to tell my parents what happened. Unfortunately, nothing came out of the situation. I think culture may have played a lot into this and perhaps the fact that they may think molestation is not a big deal compared to, say, rape. My parents' financial dependency on said family member definitely contributed to it as well which was implicitly implied when I asked them about consequences. Wow, so you have a family that did not jump on it and say, what? What happened? Who did that? When did this happen? This is the response I expect from a parent whose child comes to them, even their adult child comes to them and says, I want to let you know, so-and-so was molesting me 
for four years. If I was a parent, I'd be like, what? I'm going to kill him. I'm, I'm going to kill him. That, that would be my reaction. I'm going to kill him. I wouldn't kill him, but that would be my reaction. And when I don't hear that reaction from parents, it saddens me and it surprises me. These are children. These are helpless individuals that are supposed to be our pride and joy. And when I don't hear a reaction that is of incredulous shock and anger and wanting to take action right away, it surprises me. But I know why it happens. I mean, there are people that simply don't want to dive into that mess. And it's really sad. It's really sad that there are parents out there that don't want to dive into that mess. They don't want to unravel it. And if you're a parent that has dealt with this and you didn't have the reaction that I just described, I'm not trying to put you down for it. I understand. I understand because there are people that just don't want to face such a harsh reality. There are people that don't have the strength to do it or don't have the tools to do it. They don't even know what to do. It's better just to go into denial and pretend it didn't happen. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm not saying it's the right thing. I'm just saying it happens. This is what happens with some parents. And it is unfortunate because as a parent, there should be such a response that the child feels like the parent is on their side 100%. What? That happened to you? What do we need to do? We need to figure this out. We need to do something about this. I would hope a response like that would exist. But everyone's different. And some people aren't prepared. Some people don't even believe it. That's another thing. We can't get past their disbelief. Oh, there's no way your uncle did that. You know, he was never around. This is what my girlfriend heard. There's no way your uncle ever did that. He was never around. You were never alone with him. But something happened to her. And that uncle creeped her out her whole life. And she doesn't have a good recollection of it. But she knows something happened. And she had to face some... I don't know, disbelief, or maybe her parents didn't understand the full severity of it. I don't know. And it's possible that this is what happened here. But I'm going to continue reading this email because I just flew off on a tangent there just so I can address her specific questions. She goes on to say, there was no punishment or separation. Everyone went on as usual. I was so traumatized by the silence that I decided to let the matter go. Meanwhile, I became very short-tempered and depressed lashing out at family over little things like not having done chores or staying in my room, though I realized I was redirecting my anger elsewhere since I hadn't got any justice after confiding in my parents. I went away to college after this experience and was able to process things a bit with a great therapist. However, I still have a relationship with my parents out of financial dependency, occasionally going home during breaks. We act, quote, normal, though for me, their dysfunction is enough to make me feel crazy. In addition to other toxic traits they have toward me, like being overly critical and constantly blaming me for small things. Now that I'm about to graduate, though, I'm resolute about cutting off all dependencies to my family because pretending everything is fine makes me feel complicit in my own pain. However, the trauma and possibly gaslighting of this experience was so bad that I'm terrified of bringing the topic back up and being shut down again. I don't even know how to bring it up. And most importantly, there's no doubt that the sexual incidents, it was a series of them over the course of years, happened. But the fact that it happened so long ago makes me feel like I'm fighting a dragged out fight. I'm tempted to continue playing this repression game, but I know I can't do that because I want to thrive in life. 
Is it common for people to doubt the seriousness of their own traumatic childhood experiences, even though we're still feeling the consequences of them today? What should I even expect from my family at this point, and is it worth cutting them off completely? Thank you for all you do. All right, we have a lot to unpack here, and I'm going to take bits and pieces of your email and talk about it when we come back. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing that, and I'm sorry you went through that. That is awful. That is awful. That makes me want to hurt someone. That's the response you should get. I feel that. I don't even know you, and I feel that. And if you were my daughter, I would be angry, and I would want to get justice. I would want to do something about it. That doesn't mean we would go right away and report him to the police or anything like that. We could. Absolutely. We could get in the car and go do that right away. But I think it would be better to talk about it with you and figure it out and find out where you are. Because I have my initial reaction, anger and upset and sadness. And then I have my other reaction, which is, okay, we need to look at this practically. We need to figure this out. What do we need? And I'm especially going to be cognizant of your needs because you may not want to open that can of worms. That's one of the things that can happen in something like this is that somebody tells you something and they don't want to get instant justice for the other person. They don't want to do these things. I'm not saying this person does or doesn't, but sometimes you do have to assess the needs of the person that's sharing something like this with you so that you just don't go off and start something that now they have to deal with and they don't want to get into it, she may want to go in an entirely different direction. I mean, she didn't even say if she wanted to get uh, legal justice for this person. She might, or she might not. But as a parent, that's the kind of question I would ask, and um, I would want to be there 100%. So I'm here for you, 100%. (laughs) The person who wrote, thank you so much for sharing this. We're going to unpack some stuff when we come back right after this. timing this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're not familiar with BetterHelp, they are a service that helps you connect with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment. And what that means is that you don't have to leave your house or you can go drive and park under a tree and then use your phone to video chat or even use their messaging system to type a message out so you can go back and forth that way. BetterHelp is designed to help you with many challenges in life, including stress and anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief and self-esteem, and depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping. How about old childhood traumas? That's what we're talking about in this episode. Anger, family conflicts, another thing that we're talking about in this episode. All of this is designed to help you improve your life and get you beyond what's interfering with your happiness. This is not self-help. This isn't like throwing an audio tape and repeat affirmations. This is professional counseling and you can send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses and like I said, you take advantage of the video or phone sessions and you'll have help right away. So check them out, betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash brain 
If you go to that URL, you'll get 10% off your first month. So many people are using this, especially nowadays with today's events going on. And uh, when you join, you can choose the person that you want to work with. They'll give you some recommendations. But if you don't feel the vibe with that person, you can choose another person. So you're going to get the help you need. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month today. Okay, welcome back. I'm going to come back to this email. I've highlighted some stuff that I want to talk about, and I'll go in the order of the highlights here. One of the first things that she said was, uh, I have dealt with panic attacks, social anxiety, and depression since I was 15. So I'm sure that we can look at the trauma from your past and probably say it's related. And because of that, you are probably have some processing and healing to do there, like you said in your email. But um, I'm going to read your specific questions because they do pertain to this event in your life. And I have some thoughts on this. And I'm going to read you what you said. You said, I still deal with pretty bad anxiety. Do you have any advice on validating and expressing trauma that has happened so long ago that you're tempted to doubt how serious the matter was. Yes, let me say this. When you have old trauma that happened so long ago that you you really can't feel the intensity about it anymore, then it may have been repressed to the point where you've moved on, but there might be some lingering trauma in there. Uh, you can usually tell if there's lingering trauma, if you still become emotionally triggered by it, either A, when you think about it, or B, when somebody does something that reminds you about it. This is something to look at inside of you. In your case, you are sexually assaulted. And I'm going to say something very bluntly. You were raped. Now, you said something later that says, you know, maybe it's not the same as rape, but it is. It's it's exactly the same, except you're a child and you're even more defenseless and helpless. And it's worse in some ways because you were a child and you had no choice and you were forced, but that happens in rape scenarios too. So I look at childhood molestation uh, as rape. So this is someone raping a child. So this is very serious. This is your validation right now. This is very serious. What happened to you is very serious. So I want you to take that in and, you know, we maybe even stop using the word molest. I mean, molestation is kind of a zoomed out view of what happened where rape is more in your face. It's raw. It's something that you really have to process when you hear it. So I don't know if you've ever said, hey, mom and dad, so-and-so raped me that's going to sound a lot different. And I don't know how they're going to experience it themselves or if they're going to throw it under the rug, which it sounds like they might be doing now. But I like using the more raw label of something when people don't get it. This is why some people need to swear. You know, Sometimes I'll swear. I won't do it on this show. But sometimes I'll swear to say, you just don't effing get it. <laughs> you don't get it. And then you have to emphasize in such a way where they hear it, where it breaks through that barrier that they put up. Maybe it's the barrier of disbelief or denial. 
Sometimes you have to get through to people like this. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying that sometimes it's best to use a different label. So if you say, you know, so-and-so sexually molested me, it may not have that hard-hitting edge that it needs for someone to really finally get it. So that's one possible route for you to take if you haven't already taken it. And that, I hope, helps you validate what happened to you. Expressing the trauma is the same way. You know, you label it. This is exactly what happened to me. Uh, And if people need to hear the details because they still don't get it, you might have to go further down that rabbit hole and give them explicit details. I'm not saying you should or that you need to. I'm not saying that this is a good thing therapeutically. I mean, you should talk about this with a professional, of course. I'm just saying that sometimes people still don't get it. You know, you could say rape, you could say these words, and they'll be like, uh, well, maybe you just misunderstood. And then you might have to say, look, this person forced his blank into my blank, but you use the real words. You might have to do that. People in denial don't want to hear that stuff. They don't want to have to face it. They don't want to have to hear those raw, explicit words that paint the picture in their mind. It's easier to not paint a picture in your mind when you see the word molestation because you see it in the headlines all the time. And if your mind doesn't go there and paint that picture, it's not going to go there. They might become desensitized to that, but they don't become desensitized to those visceral words that you can throw at them and the detailed picture you can paint for them. It's hard to get away from that. They may not like it. You may have to do that with someone someday. You may have to do that with your parents. Not saying you should. Not saying you have to open that can of worms. You may be, like you said, resolute in breaking off ties with them, and that's maybe the direction you need to go. I'm just saying maybe this is why it hasn't gotten through yet is because they're just not getting it. They probably get it, and they go into denial, or they just can't believe it, but it's not in their face enough. It's just not rubbing that wound raw enough for them. You know, that's just a guess on my part. It's an assumption, but this is what happens. It's like the words we want to use have to reflect what really happened to us. It's sort of like if I say, um, hey, I got into a car accident and everything's fine. What is your response to that? Everything's fine. Okay, well, uh, okay, you're okay, right? Yeah, I'm okay. It's all good. Okay. It's pretty much the end of the conversation. They might say, well, what happened, of course. But if I said, oh my God, I was driving along and I was so stressed out. I was in all this traffic and this car was tailgating me for miles and miles. And I finally decided to let him pass. And as he passed, he clipped my bumper and it sent me careening into the side of the road and my car flipped over three times. The glass from the windshield punctured my arm and my arm was bleeding. And I had to wait four hours for help because no one was around. It was the middle of the night and I was so scared. And it was dark out and I smelled gas and I didn't know what to do. Look at the picture I painted in your mind. It's so different than saying I got into a car accident. That's how I see stuff like this. Sometimes with certain people that just don't get it, you really have to get detailed about it. And if they still didn't get it, like, well, that doesn't sound so bad. I've been in a rollover accident before. Then you can say, look, the blood was pouring out of my arm. You might have to say, Something like that, something a little bit more um, detailed and raw. But I I think I made my point there. Um, The next thing you said is really important. You said, this happened so long ago, 
and you're tempted to doubt how serious the matter was. Again, using these explicit words that really make you face it can help you connect to it as well. And if you do experience any PTSD with this, like I said, see a counselor, see a professional, and make sure you talk about it with them because I don't want you to go into a full-blown meltdown. I'm just trying to help you and guide you to connect with it in a way where you know it was real. I'm not trying to make it real right now. I'm just saying it's helpful to understand that, yeah, this happened. This is serious. And now you're at a point in life where you can finally process it and deal with it and heal from it and work through it. But the problem is you were a kid when it happened. You were barely old enough to process things that were happening then, let alone being tortured and raped. And that's how I see it. So how do you process that as a kid? You can't. Sometimes you just have to put it in the back of your mind and keep moving. And then later on, this stuff comes out later on in life. And this is what's happening now is that now you're ready to deal with it. Now you want to heal from it and you want to move on. You know, stop feeling anxious and stop feeling depressed. Of course you do. I mean, I think you said you're over your depression, but you still feel anxious every now and then. Yes, you definitely want to feel better now. So understanding that it was real is, yes, a great first step. And trying to convey that to someone else, they may not ever understand it. But to your specific question, when you're tempted to doubt how serious the matter was, I don't even think it's a matter of doubting or not doubting at this point. Because you know it happened. And there are sexual abuse victims that can't prove that it happened. In fact, they doubt themselves. Yes, just like you, my girlfriend. She still has doubts that it happened, but she knows it happened. So just accept that it happened. This is what happened to you. It happened. And four years. This is unbelievable how long it happened. But this is what happened to you. And right now, where you are today, it doesn't matter how serious it was then unless you feel it's still serious today. If you think about that time and you go into a meltdown, you cry, you scream, you wave your arms because you don't want anybody near you, then it is serious today. It was very serious back then. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize this. I'm just saying today, how you deal with the actual event is most important. Because if you're repressing anything about it today, that has to be dealt with, yes. But if you're not repressing it anymore, and it's been so long, and so many things have happened, and old memories are getting overwritten because you're trying to deal with other people and tell them what happened, then you may have moved on from some parts of this, some parts of the seriousness. And maybe that's good, maybe it's not, but don't feel like it has to be serious today. And what I mean by that is that if you don't experience the terror and the trauma and whatever else you were feeling as a child, if you don't feel that today, it doesn't mean it was never serious. It just means it's not impacting you the same way as it did then. Because you've grown, time has passed, and some things have healed. Your body has probably healed, I'm hoping. And all of this was very traumatic as a child, but the mind and the body is designed to heal. It is designed to move forward. Sometimes it doesn't, but it sounds like it has moved forward a little bit for you. Meaning the worst parts of it aren't at the forefront of your brain anymore. They're in the background and you know they happened and you have some doubts about the severity of it, but don't worry about not feeling 
everything you're supposed to feel because of that event. What I really want you to focus on, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't address it, but what I really want you to focus on is how you feel today about what's going on in your life, about your relationships, and how you respond to people and things today that aren't necessarily helpful to you. They're not resourceful to you. What I mean by that is can you have a sexual experience today without trauma? If you can, that's a good step forward. That's a healing inside that has happened. Can you be in a position that you were in back then, like if you were held down? If you were held down today, would it be highly traumatic? I mean, some people, even if they weren't abused, can feel traumatized by being held down. But sometimes it can be playful. Do you go into trauma then? Because if you do, then you need to heal from that. There's trauma still present. Everything that you respond to and react to today is what I'd like you to gauge regarding that experience from the past. So if you do have a negative emotional reaction and you can tie it into what happened to you at that early age, then you can gauge the seriousness of dealing with that today. I'm not saying what happened wasn't important or serious. Like I said, I'm just saying that it's important to gauge how you feel today, how you're responding today, how it affects your life today. Keep that in mind as you are emotionally triggered. And you can ask yourself, you know, if that thing never happened to me, if I was never raped, if I was never traumatized or tortured back then, would I still have the same reaction today? So if you find yourself reacting negatively towards something, you can ask yourself a question like that and find out what answer comes up for you. Because if you say, well, if that didn't happen, I probably wouldn't feel that way today, then that's something you need to look at. That's something that you need to process, that you need to work through. And there are multiple ways to do that with therapy and working on your self-worth and self-esteem and doing some inner child work for sure. Uh, I have some episodes on inner child work, but it basically comes down to picturing that little child that didn't get what she needed back then or got what she didn't want and now giving her what she needs. There's a whole walkthrough on other episodes. If you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com and type in the words inner child, you'll find episodes and articles where I talk about that. But it can be helpful to talk to that small part of you, that child part of you, and give her what she needs. It doesn't mean it changes the past. It just means it helps her process this stuff and feel loved and feel like somebody cares about her and feel everything that maybe you as a child didn't receive back then. That's important stuff, especially with such trauma like this. You do need to do a lot of that inner child work, and I hope you have done that or are thinking about doing that or will start doing that because that is who is inside you when you are feeling that trauma today is that little girl that hasn't reached closure, that hasn't reached healing, that needs so much care and attention and love to show her that she is important and she deserves to be treated with kindness and love. So I want you to remember that as you go forward. Now I'm going to go through these other things that I've highlighted here. You said, uh, my parents' financial dependency on said family member definitely contributed to them not reacting as strongly, I guess, as well which was implicitly implied when I asked them about consequences. No punishment, no separation. Everyone went on as usual. So, yeah, you have a situation where your parents realize they have things to lose. Your parents' losses, in their eyes, are more important than what you lost. 
Now, that sounds awful when I say that. I think it is. I, I think in this case, your parents fear losing their financial support as opposed to you losing your childhood and you not having their support today. That is somewhat telling. At the same time, there is denial. In psychology, it's denialism. I don't, it's a strange word, but denialism is when someone is so uncomfortable with truth that they just go into denial. They don't want to believe it because believing it means the truth is so painful that they can't deal with it. And so even though you've had to deal with real pain, real physical pain and mental pain and emotional pain at that point and as you grew up, they find out about it later and they might go into denial. So that's what might be happening. It's not an excuse. I don't think that any parent should go into denial. I think they should step right up and be there for you and say, okay, what do we need to do? And let's talk about this. And I'm here for you. I love you. No matter what you want to do, I'm, I'm on board. But then there are people that just can't handle it. You know, these are human beings. Even though we want them to be our parents 100%, they're still separate human beings with their fears and their weaknesses and their vulnerabilities and their inability to handle such impactful truths. Again, it's not an excuse, but at the same time, psychologically, I see why people do it. And I also see a lot of dysfunction, like you said. Your family has dysfunction if they're not going to pursue this because they would rather have financial support and connections to this person. And that's a sad statement. I really hate to say that, but this has been your reality. You've had to deal with it. So there's not much I can say if your parents don't want to get out of their denial or they're just so uncomfortable talking about it that they just don't talk about it, then you're in a situation that feels very isolated, very alone because your parents aren't stepping up to the plate here. But do you get in their face from this point on? I mean, your letter was saying that you have a relationship with your parents, but it's very dysfunctional. Well, how can we really stir things up? Well, let me say this. If you are ready to cut the ties with them, you could cut ties in a way that uses those raw terms I used earlier to show them how serious you are and how disappointed you are with them. That you could do. You can take my advice and throw it out the window if you want. I, I don't want you to do anything that's uncomfortable to you or that's going to open a can of worms that you don't want to deal with. But if you're going to cut off ties with them, it can be helpful for them to know why, because sometimes people need that swift mental kick in the butt. Sometimes they do. I can't even believe I'm telling you this because I'm usually the person that wants to have you convey information tactfully and diplomatically and want you to help people understand where you are sympathetically and empathetically. But some people do need a mental kick in the butt. Could be your parents. Maybe they need it. Maybe they don't. Maybe you don't want to deal with it. Totally up to you. But this is something that they'll probably never understand until it's so in their face that they have no choice but to accept it. And maybe then they'll finally realize, what have we been doing? What have we been doing to our daughter all this time? This is awful. We shouldn't do that. And you said you were so traumatized by the silence that you let the matter go. So this helps sweep it under the rug as well. And of course, that doesn't help you. Now you have it inside of you and you're going to carry it with you. And that's what happens as a lot of victims of these kinds of acts carry it with them because as they tell certain people, those people 
They act like your parents. Or some people overreact, and you don't want them to overreact. Or you just don't feel safe telling anyone. And of course, there's also the shame and the guilt and other feelings that people have after something like this has happened to them. And let me just remind you, if you haven't heard me talk about this before, that when you are raped, either as a child or an adult, there is no shame in that. There is no guilt in that. That should be on the other party. That should be on them. They should feel the shame. They should feel the guilt. You were the victim. You were taken advantage of and abused and tortured and put through something you should never have been put through. You are the victim. And it's easy for me to say, stand proudly and say, no, this person raped me. And there's no getting around that. I mean, it's easy for me to say that. It's not easy to do. Maybe for some people it is, but I would rather have you in that feeling instead of the feeling of shame and guilt. I would rather have you confidently knowing that what they did was wrong. You were vulnerable and they exploited and hurt you and you know that's wrong and you see all the wrong on their side. And when you can do that, you're in a better space inside yourself. Even if you never say anything to anyone ever again, but to know that they were wrong and you don't deserve shame or guilt, just in case it's in there, that's a much better place to be. Moving on, I'm almost done here. You said you still have a relationship with your parents out of financial dependency. So yeah, this is a choice. You're going to lose your finances and you just have to understand what you value more. This is a personal choice. You can say, I value the emotional support more. I value their belief in me. I value their, their love for me over the money and I'm going to cut ties. You can say that. And maybe that'll be enough for them to say, whoa, okay, we better take this seriously. Let's talk about this. And maybe you'll have a conversation that you've been wanting to have. I don't know. But yeah, that's going to be tough. And it can also be liberating because you've already seen what financial dependency does to someone, at least partially here, your parents being financially supported on the person that traumatized you. And when you're dependent on someone for something that you're going through, that dependency can change who you are. And I don't like that. I would rather not have the money and be homeless than have to deal with that. But that's me. That's something I could do and something I would do. I would not want to give someone a license to make me feel bad and uh, criticize me, like you said in this email. I would not give anyone a license to do that. I would rather have no money from them or I would rather move away or I'd rather get away from them. Getting paid and getting hurt. I think I would get rid of both. I would rather have neither than both. And if that's my only choice, that's how it would work for me. I don't know how it would work for you, but um, you already said you're going to cut them out. So it sounds like you're pretty clear about that, which is great. So let me get to your final questions, which I believe are probably the most important ones that you wanted to ask, which is, um, what should I even expect from my family at this point? And is it worth cutting them off completely? So your final question tells me that maybe you're not 100% ready to cut them out of your life. Um, what should you expect from family? I think after what I just said, you're going to expect the same thing. I mean, if you don't do anything, then status quo stays the same. They're going to act the same towards you. They're going to be in denial. They're not going to bring it up. It's going to be the same thing. So if you want a relationship like that with your parents, then by all means, you can continue knowing that they're going to be the same way and you'll have to come to an acceptance with that and you'll just have to understand that 
your childhood trauma and torture will never come up and they're going to continue to criticize you and maybe belittle you and mentally injure you in, in ways. So you have to be aware of that. I don't like that myself, but you may want a relationship with your parents. And if that's the best it can get, it might be what you have to do. But I will say this, if you can get out from under their dependency so that you can make choices without an attachment to an outcome, you'll be in a much better place. In other words, if you can make choices and say things to them without worrying about losing a dependency, you are in a much more empowered space. That means you can say or do anything you want, no matter what they do or say. As soon as my girlfriend's ex-husband stopped paying her for her child support, she didn't have to take his attitude anymore. It was great. It was freeing. <laughs> as soon as he was no longer responsible for those payments, she no longer had to take his attitude. But before, she was relying on those payments. And when you rely on somebody else who's treating you badly, you're going to get more of the same and they're going to have control of your life. So you have to be really careful how you set yourself up with people like this and ask yourself if you want to continue doing it this way. So that would be a personal decision, like I said. If you want to cut them out, then you'll probably lose the financial support. But maybe you're at that age where you don't need financial support anymore or you're going to find your own job and you're going to make your own money and everything will be fine. Or it's going to be hard. It could be very hard. Maybe you've relied on that financial support for so long that losing that is going to be hard. But other people have done it and you can do it too if you want. So there's my answer to that. It's not exactly a pointed answer, but it works. So I think I got to all your questions. I think I was able to articulate what I wanted to articulate from your email. I'm so sorry this happened to you. I really am. There are just some people that are so selfish that will hurt children or older kids or adults, and they just do it because they want what they want and they don't care about your pain. And we have to be aware that uh, some people are like that. And, and when they are, it's not your fault that they're like that. And it's not your fault what they did to you. They're just a-holes. <laughs> they're just bad, bad people. They're just bad. And somebody might write to me and say, well, people aren't bad. They just do bad behavior. Yes, that's true. There are a lot of people that do bad behavior. And then there are bad people. Sometimes they're just jerks. Sometimes there are people out there that just are dangerous to be around and we have to note that and we have to acknowledge it and we have to move on. But then we have this trauma that we have to deal with, just like you. You have this trauma you have to deal with. And I will say this final thing. Sometimes the person who put us through trauma when we were in childhood isn't always the reason that we have trauma today. Yes, they started the whole process. They are a big problem, and they could absolutely be the reason, but they aren't always the reason. And what I mean by that is that sometimes the person who did the trauma isn't the one we're mad at. Sometimes the person that did the trauma isn't the one that we want to hurt back in some way. Maybe we want to yell at them, or maybe we want to smack them across the face. Sometimes that's not the person. Sometimes it's the person that didn't protect us. Sometimes it's the person that didn't believe us. Sometimes it's the person that downplayed it or minimized it. Sometimes it's other people that gives us the anger that we have or the isolation that we feel or 
the emotional triggers that we have. Sometimes it's other people. I'm not saying that the person who did the trauma is out of the loop here. I'm just saying that sometimes we can get beyond that because we've thought about it and maybe we've healed from a lot of it. But then we go on in life and we tell others about it. We tell our parents and somebody doesn't believe us or somebody minimizes it or somebody just blows it off and leaves you holding the bag and you don't know what to do with it because you've been holding the bag all your life. You know, all the trauma and the feelings of hurt and neglect and maybe that shame or guilt that some people experience. And if you're treated like that, then the person who did the bad deed that many years ago isn't the person that you need to forgive, isn't the person that you need to forget. It isn't anyone because now you have trauma regarding the people that weren't there for you. And if that's in there, that needs to be dealt with. That needs to be healed in you. And don't feel bad if it's in there. If you think, I should be really angry at so-and-so for doing that to me, but I'm not, then who are you angry at? And be honest. Because that is sometimes what you need to heal inside of you. So there may be a lot going on inside of you, and I hope that what I talked about today has been helpful. And uh, thank you so much for writing this. I wish you much strength and healing throughout your journey and I appreciate you thanks for listening to another show we'll be right back with my thank yous and goodbyes and uh, my Halloween story right after this Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor, BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month of a great service. That's BetterHelp, the word better and the word help, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash brain. Check them out today. And like always, I want to mention the patrons of the week. These are the financial supporters of the show, and I am so grateful for them because our show keeps going because of people like this, Chris, Christina, Holly, Brad, Christy. Christy, you're a new member. Great to have you on board. Thank you so much for joining and supporting. Jamie, always good to see you, Jamie. Jennifer, Angel, all of you. I recognize all your names, and I am so glad that you are supporting the show. I appreciate you. Thank you all so much. Anyone that supports the show, I am grateful for. If you leave a review, if you share the show with others, whatever you do to support, I am grateful for. So I want to thank all of you. And If you are interested in supporting the show financially, you can go over to moretob.com and you can become a member of the patron program. Patron program is where you can not only support the show, but you also get all the episodes that I have in that program. I have about almost 100 episodes in there, plus some videos and uh, workbooks and worksheets all in that program. So once you join the patron program, you have access to that. Again, moretob.com. Thank you all. And I want to mention Love and Abuse. That is my other podcast over at loveandabuse.com. If you have any type of difficult relationship going on in your life where you just can't seem to communicate or you always get into an argument or you just leave every conversation feeling guilty or responsible and you're trying but it just doesn't seem to work, maybe you need to listen to Love and Abuse. Head over to loveandabuse.com. It is about emotional abuse, control, and manipulation. And all the uh, bad behavior that some people will do to you and uh, even blame you for. And we don't want that. So check it out. Loveandabuse.com.
And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And like I said, I have a Halloween story, but it's not really a Halloween story. It's just, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a ghost story. But let me share this with you. This happened when I was a teenager. And the story I'm going to share with you is not based on any beliefs I have. It's not based on anything supernatural. But there seem to be elements that I can't explain that everyone will have opinions on. (laughs) Everyone's going to have an opinion on this. But let me tell you what happened. I was about 16, 17 And um, my best friend at the time, we were using a Ouija board. Ouija, Ouija, something like that. I don't know where it came from. I forget if I got it from my mom or something. But uh, we pulled it out one night and we just decided to use it. And as with most people that use a Ouija board for the first time, we spent probably the first 45 minutes saying, you're moving it. (laughs) No, you're moving it. No, you're moving it. But after 45 minutes and about an hour in, we were noticing that it was choosing letters and we had nothing to do with it. That's not necessarily true because our hands were on it, so it had to move somehow. So yes, we had something to do with it. You know, those micro movements and perhaps our subconscious minds were talking to each other somehow or communicating in a way that was under the radar. But, you know, that's my scientific perspective. But we were using the board it was spelling things and we were asking questions and it was giving us answers there was no big revelation in the answers it was giving us because we were just asking it questions like who are you how old are you how did you die you know we're kids doing something thinking that we're talking to spirits but still at the same time thinking maybe that other person's moving it (laughs) so we started getting into it we started doing this Every time he came over, i pulled the Ouija board out, and we would do it for like 45 minutes to an hour and a half. We would just get into it, and we finally fully trusted each other that we weren't moving the thing on our own. We finally just said, why would we spend so much time, time trying to fool each other? Because everything it was spelling out was just something that wasn't even in our minds. It was just strange. So we did this for weeks. So one day, we decided to pull it out, and this was, I think my mom had left uh, my stepfather for a period of time. It was like six months. Uh, So they separated, and it was just my stepfather in the room with us, and we were using the board. And um, we asked whoever we were talking to if whatever this was was in the room. You know, are you in the room? And the board answered yes. Then we asked... Are you uh, close by? Can you move? Can you show us where you are? And the board said, I can't move. And we thought, okay, that's interesting. We asked, why can't you move? And it said, and it was really strange, there are rods in my feet. We thought that was strange. (laughs) And then I forget what we asked, like, rods in your feet, what does that mean? And we asked, where are you? Can you show us yourself? Can you show us who you are, where you are? And it spelled out the words, white elephant. 
And we thought that was really strange, like white elephant. Okay, there's no elephant in the room. <laughs> there's no white elephant, especially. So we weren't getting anywhere with it. We just kept asking it questions, and it would give us these answers. So we gave up. We just put it away. And um, we decided to, I don't know, watch TV, do something else. Uh, but we came back into the room. I sat on the couch, and I put my drink on this wicker table that we have. I had never noticed it before, but that wicker table was shaped like a white elephant. And I said, oh my God, <laughs> this is the elephant. There's a white elephant right here. Now, sure, maybe one of us noticed it and we just you know, stuck it away in our subconscious mind, never thought about it again, and it came out on the board somehow. But here it is. So this is exciting. So we got the board back out. I told my friend, I said, let's do this again. There's a white elephant right there. And then we said, stupidly, uh, <laughs> can you move? We wanted the thing to move. We wanted it to move so bad. Uh, don't ask me why. I think it was just curiosity and excitement, and we'd probably just flip out and run out of the house if it did. So we asked, can you move? And it said no. And again, it said, there are rods in my feet. And we thought, what? This elephant, is? it's on a base, and it looks like it's glued to the base. What does that even mean? So my stepfather was in the room watching this whole time, and we asked, well, can we remove the base? <laughs> can we like take this elephant apart? Because he's watching this, and he's very curious as well. So we took the glass top off, and now we have this wicker elephant on this rectangular base, and we put our foot on the base, and we pulled up on the elephant just lightly to see if it would just come off the base. And we noticed it was coming off, but it was still not coming off. It was like sliding up something. So we put it on its side, and we noticed, and this is really strange, that there were several very thick, I've never seen them before, giant nails, like a quarter inch thick, uh, probably like eight or nine inches long. I know, nine inch nails, the whole thing. But that's what they were. They were just really long nails, like several per foot sticking into this white elephant's feet. I thought, this is bizarre. This is so strange. The board called it rods. We look at it as nails. What does that mean? I don't know. But we took it off the base, and we stuck the elephant on the ground. And then we asked, can you move now? <laughs> and I will say it didn't move. So let me just bust the bubble right there. It did not move. And in fact, um, nothing really happened after that, except one thing, which was really kind of scary and freaky because uh, of what I'm going to tell you here. While we were doing this, nobody else is in the house, just us and my stepfather. While we were asking the thing to move, just shortly after that, like 20, 30 seconds, a cup fell in the kitchen. <laughs> Something fell in the kitchen. It sounded like a cup. Actually, it sounded like a glass but it didn't break. It was loud. It bounced, and it, it shook the heck out of us. So we all got up, walked to the kitchen, and we couldn't see anything. That, that was crazy. We couldn't see any. We couldn't see what fell. There was nothing on the floor. There was nothing that fell in the sink. Nothing fell. We knew it came from the kitchen because that was the only room with the hard floor. We weren't sure what happened. And so that night kind of solidified something is going on here. Something. 
like I said, I'm not saying it's a ghost thing. I'm not saying it's a spirit thing. I mean, I've actually done some research into Ouija boards and how they work and the micro movements that our subconscious mind makes with our, our hands. And I've been very interested in how it works because I do believe there's some sort of unconscious communication that happens between people. I mean, I know there is, but when you put your hands on what they call a planchette and it moves to letters, how is it possible that you can both move it the exact same way at the exact same time without resistance? That is mind-blowing. And of course, even further than that, how is it possible that none of us knew what was in that uh, wicker elephant's feet and we would never have called it rods? How is that possible? And then the cup thing, that's really strange. And maybe there's a scientific explanation for all of this. But that was creepy. <laughs> it was creepy. And uh, I remember, give you one little mini story here. I remember another friend of ours came over while we were using the board. This other friend is watching us. My stepfather's not in the room. Now I'm in my bedroom with uh, my two friends. And um, my buddy and I are using the board and third friend's watching and the third friend's like, uh, you know, I, you're, one of you is moving it, obviously. And then we asked, okay, well, how about you write something down on a piece of paper, don't show us what it is, and uh, we'll see if the board gets it. So he goes, all right, we'll try that. And we're thinking, okay, this is probably not going to work because we don't know the extent of what's going to happen here. And we just figured, okay, you probably get it wrong and our friend will never believe that we're not moving it. So we'll just play along and see, see if this works. Um, so our friend wrote down a letter, wrote down one letter on his paper. And um, so we asked the board or whatever we were asking, uh, what did so-and-so write down? And it went right to the letter Q. <laughs> you should have seen our friend's face. His jaw dropped. He looked at both of us. And I don't know if he, I think, I think he said, no way. <laughs> he was just in shock. That's the letter he wrote down. That's the exact one he wrote down. We decided not to test it any further than that. I mean, we decided that that was enough uh, for the night. <laughs> We're not going to get any further than that. We don't want to get any further than that. It's kind of weird. It's kind of strange. Our friend never joined us for another session, not that he was scared or anything. It was just... Maybe it was a coincidence. One out of 26 chance. Sure, why not? It could have been. But my best friend and I still met like several nights a week to find out the limits of the board. I know people are thinking, oh, you're dealing with evil spirits. I know what you're thinking. Some people are. Uh, I don't see it that way. I'm very skeptical. I don't really think it's evil. I think there's an unconscious process going on. But hear me out. Um, we decided to ask the board other things and where we could go find different things in the city. Are there hauntings in the city? Are there places that we can go that uh, it would lead us to that we don't know about? It's hard to explain, but we just wanted to find out if there was more it knew that we didn't know. So we'd ask, where are you, like, where are you buried, for example? And it would send us places. We would have to go to a an old hotel in town, and we would be parked out there, and we'd get the board out in the car, and then we'd ask, okay, what do we do now? And it would tell us to go somewhere else. It would tell us to look for something. And what ended up happening is the thing would send us all over town for no reason at all. It was almost toying with us and there are probably people thinking, yeah, that's what it does. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
it was almost toying with us. And we got so jaded by being sent around and uh, told to do things and giving us all these weird answers that we decided eh, it's really not worth doing this anymore because we don't know what's happening here. And if there's something beyond our realm, then they are not very smart or they're just a bunch of wise asses. <laughs> We're just a bunch of jerks. And we decided not to do it anymore. So that was pretty much the end of our Ouija board experiment. Um, however, I did do one more thing I forgot to tell you. Instead of a planchette on the board, we decided to hold a pen. Both of us just holding a pen like a planchette. Except, you know, one of us would be on the bottom and the other one would be above the other person's hand. And so we'd ask whatever it was to draw us something. And what happened was pretty cool. We apparently were talking to a, a young boy named Tim who died at 10. And he drew us a pickup truck. But not only that, he drew us a pickup truck with a camper on the back of it. It was just a very unique looking vehicle. And it was a little messy because, you know, both of our hands are doing the same thing. We didn't know what was going to be drawn. We just, you know, followed wherever the pattern went. We just kept our hand on there and it drew. And um, when it was done, it was a pickup truck. And we thought, whoa, <laughs> this is interesting. And I think it would have been fascinating to, to continue that and continue using a pen to find out what else happened. I mean, who knows? But that is basically the totality of my Halloween story. I mean, I have other tiny little things that have happened to me in life that are kind of uh, on the verge of being creepy or scary, but that really stood out, and I just wanted to tell that. I know when this airs, it'll be like a week before Halloween, but this is the only episode before Halloween, so I wanted to get it in there just in case you listen as this comes out. And if you don't listen to this when this comes out, and it's mid-June, then, uh, well, just take it as a, a generic scary story for any time of year. I hope this has been fun to listen to, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thanks for letting me share that little story from my past. And I'm glad that you stuck around this far. I think we're late in the game here, so thanks for staying with me. I appreciate you, and always remember to keep an open mind so that you can step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions. That's how you create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure and above all. And this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.